there are people just like you and I that are embedded within all of our communities. And since being able to talk to these people, I have discovered that their stories are not only inspiring, but truly, truly authentic. And it's through these stories I created the ATP podcast. With this podcast, I aim to be able to get their stories out and have further reach than what they themselves may be able to do. So with that in mind, I would like to introduce the ATP podcast. Hello and welcome to the ATP podcast. I'm your host, Josh Atkins, and guys, I hope you are ready for an absolute banger. Strap yourselves in and let's get ready. All right, guys, we are back. We've got Ben here again. Now, if you're listening to all of these episodes quite close together, you're going to be like, why is he back on again so soon? But in actual fact, the last time we had you on, I don't actually know the date, but when I put it up on the gram, it was the 12th of September. So it's been a minute. And you're pretty behind, so I'd probably say it's actually August or July. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, so yeah, welcome back, mate. Jeez, as I said, it's been a minute. Yeah, appreciate having you. Well, um, to be fair, I'm welcoming you. We're in a different location this time, my house. I think every time we've done one of these, we've been in a different location. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. There was the first, there was the first pit stop, then there was the new one, then there was your... Well, there was another one somewhere. Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah, back up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like Windsor, Lutwich. Yeah. And now here, I think I've had you on more than that though. Yeah, there's another one somewhere. Maybe there's two. It might have been two at Windsor. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Take it on the road. Yeah, I know. Yeah, here we go. Live show. Traveling circus. <laughs> peanut gallery. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, great to have you back. So on uh, today's episode, we're actually going to be talking. So oh, let's cover off on the last one. The last one we spoke about, um, kind of like. Setting goals. Um, we also uh, did for the members uh, back then. We did a, a bit of a, a, a seminar, an info night, uh, and there was some great content that came out of that. So I wanted to get you on and talk about that last time. Obviously, um, so the goal setting was really important. But today, one of the main things we're going to be talking about, which is probably very fitting for this time of year, and considering a lot of people have had a mulligan for January, I think that's pretty fucking weak, but. Mm-hmm. A lot of people had that mulligan and they're starting over again in February. It's setting uh, habits, talking about habits. Mm-hmm. And I think they definitely go, and obviously we'll get your opinion on it, but I feel they definitely go hand in hand, but without one, the other doesn't work mm-hmm. both yeah. times. I'd agree, yeah. Um, so yeah, like this is this is actually going to be pretty pretty good to talk about. Considering we came in here with uh, no idea. Literally nothing, yeah. <laughs> today, Sammy takes, oh, we catch another one. Oh, shit, yeah, I forgot about that. Let me pack everything and move the circus. Yeah, dead set. <laughs> so, well, yeah, it's for right off the cuff. Um, but no, this is a very professional podcast. So, uh, haha, kidding. <laughs> he literally bought those for this moment. Dead set. Like, so, this is the first time we've had stings yes. for this as well. So good. But we're not going to do any more stings. That's a two, two piece. <laughs> All right, mate. So yeah, uh, I guess for those for those people that don't know Ben, um, mate, in- introduce yourself. Let them know uh, what you do. Um, yeah. And- so I guess this will be the first time on the podcast. I'm officially my own owner, operator, and director um, of my own business. So that's pretty pretty exciting. Um, last time I was on here, we had it going, but it wasn't quite at a trading position yet. Um, with a lot more a lot more free content, free information. So. Um, yeah, so now I've stepped into that full time due to a lot of personal uh, situations um, and things sort of took place at the last place of employment. So yeah, at the moment I'm now running Matter Athletica full time, um, focusing on at the moment focusing on physique and life development, coaching things like that, um, with the grand scheme of moving into a lot more performance and uh, I guess life and elite performance coaching. Um, working on course content and things like that. So that'll be the long-term goal um, that we're, well, yeah, putting into place now, really. And yeah, so it's been going since about October um, that we've been going full-time now. So yeah, it's moving along. It's happening. It's um, it's exciting. It's nerve-wracking. Anything that, you know, anytime you go out on your own and start your own business is obviously going to be 
pretty stressful and anxious, but same time, it's exciting, it's fun. Um, you know, learning what works, what doesn't, finding out what systems suit me, what habits are good and bad. I recognize in myself, I actually have to do a full sort of like self-analysis. Um, old, old anxieties and old habits that I had from my previous employment that, you know, I was running a second, I guess, side hustle, quotation marks, um, in after work hours. So, you know, it was like seven o'clock at night till 10 or 11 after training or something like that or before study or something like that. So it was kind of a lot of side hours and now, you know, what habits have I taken from the old job that don't suit this sort of thing? Um, like, you know, I was managing a business, but I wasn't the owner. So, you know, I was doing sort of between the work hours they were paying me, nothing else. Whereas now, you know, I want to work weekends, I want to work late at night, I want to work during the day, I want to work in the morning. Um, so it's finding out what best suits me, what best times I operate, what best times I, I suck at thinking and what times I'm more alert and awake. So yeah, it's been, been fun. Mate, love that. Um, obviously I've gone through a very similar thing as well, <laughs> yeah. um, which has been good. Yeah. But we, we won't get into the nitty gritty. Well, that's boring. Yeah. Anyway, mate. Yeah. So love that. So, um, from last time when we spoke, uh, there's a bit of an echo that I can't get my, I keep playing around with my knobs, but. They're not giving me what I want. He's also touching a pad as well. Yeah, non pad. Um, yeah, mate. So um, yeah, from last time, like you were getting this all started. Um, it's gone leaps and bounds. It's doing really well. Yeah. Some great content coming out as well. Um, so we always do this at the end, but let's do it at the start now as well, just so it, we get it fresh in everyone's mind. Mm -hmm. um, let's just drop your socials and where they can find you with Matter. Um, yeah, so always put in the show notes as well. Yeah, so it's, um, as you probably seen the last one, if you had just listened to this one, it's um, matter underscore athletica. Um, and then on the website, it's just www.matterathletica.com, um, where you can find my personal Insta as well, which I put a lot of information there, uh, a lot more client results and stuff, um, which is just Ben underscore Mayfield Smith underscore again, I think. <laughs> cool. Um, so, yeah, some of the big takeaways from the last one, and we're, we're going we're gonna to touch on this very quickly because. Mm -hmm just to give context, keep it fresh in everyone's mind. Uh, one of my biggest takeaways from um, our last chat being around goals and setting goals mm -hmm. is making sure that your goals align with your values. And you gave, um, at the info night, you gave a really good um, kind of breakdown or analogy of that. And that being that if you've got a goal to make a million dollars and be the CEO of a, of a multi-million company, um, and that's in oil, but mm -hmm. your values align with protecting the planet, being mm -hmm. a complete greenie, renewable energy, then there's going to be a conflict there mm -hmm. because you're working towards a position in an oil, as an example, an oil company, mm -hmm. which we can all probably agree that destroys the planet and your values are protecting the planet, being greenie, renewables mm -hmm. and stuff. So really making sure that your goals align with your values. Yeah. Now that's a very clear cut sort of black and white example. How would you then say like, if someone goes like, Oh, how do I know that my, for example, my fitness goals relate to my values? How do we make sure they kind of yeah, so it, line up? The, the thing I find is the way in which you word them as well. So what your fitness goals may be is like, let, like instead of simply saying, I don't know, let's say that you, uh, your values might be, well, let's use matters. Um, our values are intensity, purpose, and consistency. So for me, if, there's no point saying, um, you know, I want to have an okay physique and I want to simply just, you know, go to the gym and exercise. And I just sort of want to be there and, you know, at least as long as I'm going to the gym four times a week. Now, I can do those things, that's fine. But is that then in line with the fact that my main three values are purpose, intensity, and consistency? So if I'm looking at, say, going to the gym, and that's just all it is, there's no purpose behind it. There's no intensity behind it, and the consistency flakes. So the chances are I'm going to feel very at odds with myself. And you've got to recognize it too. A lot of the time, it's a very, though it's a subjective opinion, it's a very tangible response that you'll be able to pick up on. You know, you'll start to just feel at odds. You're just not going to feel, I guess, fulfilled. You're not going to feel like you're working. You're not going to feel positive emotions. It's just not going to be a good time. If you're wording it and structuring it in a way that is, you know, over the next 12 to 24 months, we're going to go through X, Y, Z phases of training. I'm going to hit this many calories. I'm going to work back to this body fat composition and I'm going to be on stage at this conditioning. That gives me very specific 
outcomes under a, a larger banner, which is I want to get on stage. And under that, above that again, is that to get to stage, I'm going to acquire purpose, consistency, and intensity. So it's not just what the goal is, but also how you word and construct it within yourself and how you sort of phrase it that align with your goals as well. Sorry, your values as well. So that can be, yeah, that can be for, for literally, you know, anyone. Like it can be that your value is to give back to the earth or something. You know, you want to uh, give back to society and be cleaner or provide more support. Um, chances are if you're just going to, you know, you don't then go and set goals to recycle everything, you know, every week or you don't do your recycling properly. You're going to feel at odds with that. It's just simply not going to be, I guess, a good feeling. You're genuinely going to know that it's not a positive emotion or relation back to that feeling. So, yeah, it's more about not just how your what the goal is, but how you're working it as well to align with your values. Yeah, okay, perfect. So, with that being said, um, let's now get into habits. As we said, and we both agree that they go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. It's all well and good to have a goal, make sure that you're... Um, values align with that but then how do we go about achieving that in a micro level and that comes down to your habits Mm -hmm. per se among other things so let's get into um, I guess the the theory side of the habits and then work through how they can be that kind of practical application Mm -hmm. so I guess the the point you said there where, where where habits definitely underlie goals is is very true. It's first of all, I would start with a, a I guess a habit assessment or like a general life assessment where you are you know picking up and recognizing bad habits, good habits, what habits are working, what habits aren't. You know, I recognize since I've hurt my back that I'm just sleeping a little bit longer than I would like to just because that pain of getting up it's keeping me awake a little bit longer. So though that response is to stay in bed, I'm now rewarding laying in bed by sleeping a little bit longer. That feeling then is going to be that I'm reenacting that so you've got a cue which is to stay in bed i've got the um sorry i've then got the the god the word cue reward <coughs> Ooh, jesus i'm having a mind like here damn we need that thinking music yep <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> oh, man. i know the word it's gonna really shut me <coughs> response reward god damn cue response reward so then the response to me is, well, you know, it hurts to get up. I'm going to stay in bed. Um, you know, I haven't slept very long. I haven't slept as, as quality as I'd like to. I'm going to stay in bed. Um, the reward is then that I'm staying in bed and feel good. So yep. that is going to create a feedback loop or a habit loop that is going to essentially keep that, that behavior spiraling. So analyzing that and being, I guess, in, with enough of a growth mindset and reflecting on the fact that you are determined to improve and you're open to learning, you're open to criticism and self-reflection, is that you can then look at that habit and go, okay, this doesn't suit me and it doesn't serve the values I have because I want to wake up with purpose. I want to wake up with an intensity attack the day and I want to consistently get up at the same time. So my values are also, should be in line with that habit and that behavior. So interrupting that and sort of recognizing this habit situation or habit formation doesn't suit what I'm trying to achieve, I should not continue it. Therefore, I'm going to move into a process of interrupting that feedback loop and interrupting that cycle and disrupting that whole process and then interjecting it with something different. Yeah, okay, cool. When we look at, because, and I guess the first thing you're going to do as well um, when you get a client in is what you're going to look at um, what habits they are doing. I guess Mm -hmm. so good, bad, or how would you frame it? Um, Maintain, fix, maintain and fix. Yeah, maintain and fix are good. Um, there would also be obviously improvable um, habits to to change or shift. Um, it's also yeah, understanding um, perhaps what what habits may have served you previously may not be conducive to serving you in what you're trying to do now. So you know it may have been that um, coming home after work because you were tired to just simply have dinner and get sleep was good because you know that was your old life and that was the job you had and you just need to be fresh for the next day. If you're trying to get back into training or get back into health behaviours. Chances are, if you're rewarding that by going to the pub after work, something like that, then coming home and going to bed, you're not really going to be conducive to a healthier lifestyle and improving and implementing new habits. It's going to keep spiraling down the same way. So I would look at, look at what habits and behaviors they currently have, um, look at where they're trying to go, and understand what can we do to 
not just change them, but I guess just shift them to be more beneficial and supportive to the actions or the outcomes they're trying to get to. So, you know, if it's if it means that we, let's say you do want to come home from work and rest and you, you're exhausted from your day, if it's more ideal, let's look at how we set up your morning to get a habit of you going to the gym for work. And then that way you've, you've still got the, I guess, the habit of coming home tired, you, sorry, you've got the behavior of coming home tired and you'll be exhausted. Whilst that's not wrong, if we can get you to the gym in the morning before work, so you've kind of got that out of the way, you don't have to worry about it, we can then still set up a new habit, a new behavior without wrecking the old process. Now, if I say someone who likes to train in the evening, you go, okay, let's start getting to take your gym gear to work. And instead yep. of stopping off at the pub on the way home, we're stopping off at the gym. Or mm. we're stopping off, or we're walking to the work, or we're walking or riding the bike to work. And that way you've got you know, your equipment with you, you've got your gear, you've got your gym kit, and you're pretty much just good to go to go straight there. Yep. So that process then is going to interrupt the old, I guess the, the old reward may have been like, let's say it was go to the pub to drink after work and then go home. You're associating that alcohol and that socialization with a connection with a positive emotion and there's that, that instant gratification reward of the way alcohol might make you feel or the way having friends instead of going home makes you feel after work. How can we then establish that same emotional connection to training or exercise or a small behavior change to get that same feedback process to happen and create that same cue, um, cue process reward? So that's kind of how we go about it. And then the thing that I find is People try to disrupt and dismiss lifelong habits and behaviors that they've had for 20 years and try and change them overnight because it's gone from the 31st of December to the 1st of January. And then they wonder why they failed. You literally set up nothing to support this change of behavior, but you've got everything still in place from who you used to be. And now you think just because you've verbal, verbalized changing something that the rest of the world goes, okay, like we're going to change now. Chances are, and this is where the whole the whole cue process comes into play. If you look at the first three steps, if you look at cue, what is the cue? And we might call that triggers. If we're going to call that triggers and what sort of triggers the, the habit. If we're going to look at it from a negative perspective, it might be, what am I doing in the kitchen? Well, if in the kitchen, you're used to being someone who snacks in the fridge or who has cookies on the counter at every single fucking point of the day. If you're that kind of person, then the triggered behavior, the cue is a environmental response where you step into the kitchen, your body then responds with knowing, or your, let's say your brain responds with knowing that when I'm in the kitchen, I get a good feeling because I know that there's cake or cookies in the fridge or something like that. I'm going to then have that because it's going to make me feel good. I'm going to repeat that behavior. It's going to reward that and create spiraling, or keep spiraling that, that feedback loop. Now, if you're trying to change that behavior, and let's say you live with housemates, your wife and kids, your family, whatever, and no one's aware of this, and no one's aware that you're you're on this mission to change who you are or creating habits and sort of improve your systems. Those foods may still be there. Those trees may still be there. What are you doing about it? Because all your body knows is it doesn't care that the clock ticked over from the 31st to the 1st and you've got a new resolution or a new goal. It just goes by triggers and feelings, sensations, emotions, perception, and then we'll just go, okay, well, I know there's cookies in the fridge. So I'm going to look for cookies in the fridge. I know that when I go in there, I feel good. So the motivation then, which is your dopamine hormone, is going to signal you to then find that dopamine hormone, so find that positive feeling, engage that action and that behavior, and then that process is going to take you to repeat the same thing. Mm. So that's where that's where I think the big thing is there is the first step really is analyzing the cues and where they sort of come from. So you know, let's say they are food-related cues that you're triggered by. What areas are you going to or what environments are you in that's causing that response? And then how are you going to interrupt that so it becomes harder then for the feedback loop to continue? Just look at it like, I guess you would look at it as a chain and now you're trying to create a, a, a kink in that chain and disrupt that it's able to connect. Yep. So that's how it's interrupting that first initial habit formation, especially if they're just bad behaviors or, sorry, bad behaviors. If they're behaviors that are, as we talked about last time, gonna take you away from where you're trying to go. Yep. If they're not gonna take you towards the goal you've set, then what are you doing to break that, the, break the kink in that chain and essentially open that space and create new habits? Yeah, love it. Um, I think what you said before, especially about um, like the associating or, or that cue, um, or sorry, more the feeling of like people that go to the pub that associate, you know, whatever it is, going to the pub, having a good time with alcohol. Um, I've recently started a, uh, a challenge, more of a kick up the ass. Uh, doing 75 hard. So just piggybacking along that. What mm -hmm. am I on? On day 25. So that's been... I've technically not had a drink since the 1st mm -hmm. of Jan. Had a 
pretty big day then. But so whatever the date is now, it's the third. Mm-hmm. So 30 days. Yep. I haven't had a nice. drink a month. But there's also other people that have been doing the same, possibly not going as long as mm-hmm. what I have, but they've kind of given it a bit of a kick, especially alcohol. Mm-hmm. And what I keep finding them saying is, oh, I really want to drink. I can't go out because then I'm going to have one if I'm in that social environment. Mm-hmm. Now, I've always been a big believer of, and, and like, don't get me wrong, I fucking love a beer. Mm-hmm. And I know I have a good time when mm-hmm. I have a beer because I'm there more in the social situation drinking rather than drinking to be social. Mm-hmm. So, and one thing that I also firmly believe in, and this is like proven, is there's that systemic issue within Australia and kind of our culture mm-hmm. where you know, your family and friends would come around when you were young and they drink. So you associate that. So there's those learned behaviors there, but I've kind of made it a point and I haven't, I haven't gone out too many social situations since starting this, mainly because I don't want to. Mm -hmm. Um, but I am making it a point that no matter what, because I'm going to go 75 days, no alcohol, Mm -hmm. um, that you do need to go out. You do need to have a good time without drinking. Yeah. And you've always said it, you said it in plenty of other podcasts as well. Make sure like that you know, you don't go out like you, yes, back when you were drinking, you went out and you were drinking in social situations, but now you go out when you want. Yeah. Um, and you still have a good time because obviously you don't drink alcohol. Um, so I think I, I guess I well, I this is sort of a question, but how what would you say to someone that is expressing these thoughts that, oh, I can't go out in a social situation when there's alcohol because then I'm going to want to drink or I'm not going to have a good time. I think there's there's a few layers to this um, and it does come up a lot with people getting into coaching and getting into training and they think these things and make these correlations or assumptions that that's going to be the consequence of choosing to get a coach or a health-based coach or a performance coach or a training coach. And I guess you've kind of got to understand the degree of intensity to the goal of the person but at the same time, like let's say, let's say their goal does say they shouldn't have alcohol. Well, locking yourself away and isolating yourself isn't going to create a positive situation because let's say you're let's say you're extrovert extroverted person. God, mind blank. Let's say you're someone who's very social. And you've got to be out amongst people. If your only conclusion to no alcohol is you have to lock yourself away and isolate yourself, it's not going to be a good time. You're not going to feel good. You're going to probably come down pretty hard. You're going to feel pretty shitty. What I would suggest is gradual exposure, and Peterson has talked about this, and it's not to say that, that alcohol, not drinking is a fear or a phobia into that, it may just be a personal a personal association and trigger that in that environment, but I would look at exposing yourself to that environment without the need to drink or set a limit or start the, start the downward process, so to be able to step back. So the issue I find people to make large large scale changes instantly is that they haven't prepared for the situation. So if you haven't, let's say, you know, let's say you go out and you're someone who drinks, you know, a carton almost every time you go out mm. and there's no restraint, there's no cues, there's nothing but just give in to uh, inhibition and you just simply just sink it. Start small and aim to build towards a point of cutting the habit. So, you know, I want to change my alcohol behaviors. Okay, well, what are you, what's the smallest possible change we can make to start getting that to happen? Well, what if instead of just going out with the freedom of any alcohol, you would look at, let's set a, a choice of personal limitation. So you're simply saying to yourself, okay, I'm going to go out and drink, but I'm going to stop at 12. And you're basically, basically what that does then is cognitively sets the boundary within yourself that you know, you've set the rule and you're in line with that rule. And I'm changing these behaviors. I want to get healthier. I want to get happier. Um, you know, I want to improve my health. Drinking 24 drinks is probably not a good idea. I'm going to start with 12. So you cut half, but you're still out there. Mm. In that time, I would look at how that feels, how that feels to you, what that, what that means. Are you still able to be present? Are you still able to socialize? Are you still enjoying the time without being completely written off? What are the health associations you're making with the sense? The way in which you're talking about it to yourself sets up these positive responses, these positive reactions that, okay, now I've got control over drinking, drinking that doesn't have control over me. And in that time, then you go, okay, next time I go out, I might do six. And then you sort of work it back and say, you know, you're still have in control. You're still making the choice that you're free to drink. It's not a restrictive language where you know, I can't drink, I can't have mm-hmm. fun. You're simply saying, I'm going to be present at the time with less alcohol. And then you're going to work that back again. And then eventually you get to the point where you're making the, the conscious choice to either drink or not drink based on the situation. 
So it may be that you realize when you do these sort of assessments and this looking back at the situation, uh, let's say you've done some introspection over the drinking scenario, and you realize that really you're just drinking to escape work or weekend or you're escaping something or you're using it as a way to cope with something, you're now free to, I guess, make better choices around why you're drinking and you have a more positive situation with it too. So, you know, you're going to have fun because you're not just completely written off for the sake of being written off. You're going to be, I guess, in the situation having fun, but then there's a limit, there's a cap. Yep. And instead of it being a negative, like restricted uh, language or conversation, it's that you're freely making a choice. So, you know, I'm going to stop it too. Or this, this month, like you've done, I'm just going to have none. Or I'm going to do 30 days free. Now, that gives you that, I guess, that power to slowly change the behavior over time and create a new situation where the habit is, I guess, you're able to go out, but you're maybe drinking pessimists instead. Or you're doing like the light beers. Or maybe uh, one of my clients is on, uh, he's gone from his drinking cap to drinking zero, to, I can't remember the call, but they're called zero beers. And basically it's like... Oh, the no alcohol ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he'll do that. That change of behavior, you know, that's that's undoing, uh, if we look at it, let's say 25 years of behavior. Yep. And, you know, the old, the argument of old dogs and tricks in this scenario is a load of shit. Mm. Bring a positive growth mindset to the situation that you're looking to improve health behaviors, stress management, life management. One of the things you want to change is alcohol. You're interrupting that situation, interrupting that feedback loop because you're making yourself more aware, associating those feelings, setting the limitations and actually having the conversation with yourself about what you want to achieve in that situation, which is, well, I want to cut back on alcohol. Are you going to do it overnight? I mean, if you've done it for 20 years, probably not. You're probably going to set yourself up for failure if you've gone and tried to do it in an instant. But you can work backwards. And now all of a sudden you have a, I guess, a positive relationship to tie it all back together. You've got a positive relationship with your ability to, to do something, but you're making a choice not to. And you're in more emotional and mental control than you were previously, where alcohol was the dictating factor, your decision is now the dictating factor in your choices, and you can kind of freely apply that choice when you see fit. And that kind of then disassociates the habit and that, that control and that simple routine, which was, you know, go out, there's no there's no limitations, there's no caps, I can just simply sing as much piss as I want, and now I'm written off and my weekend's gone to third shift, I'll start the process all over again. Monday's crap, I'm tired and exhausted, by Friday I'm ready to do it again. Yep. I guess if, if we break it down into, uh, I guess, an, an easy-to-digest sense, it's basically doing the reverse of, say, a marathon. You're never just one day going to say, I'm going to run a marathon, and then go out the next day and run 42.2K. Yeah, exactly. You're going you're gonna to build your way up. You're going to start. If you've never run, you're going to start with going for a walk, mm -hmm. which is all going going for is just seeing how far you can run. Mm -hmm. So that, in, in retrospect, is, okay, well, going from – Drinking a cup and 24 beers down to half. Can I do this? Oh, yeah, I can. Like, and then slowly, slowly, as you condition and you're able to run further and further and further, in this sense, as you condition to getting used to the social situation, you can have less and less and less. Mm -hmm. The same, the goals are exactly the same. I want to run a marathon. I want to cut down my drinking and possibly not drink at all. Mm -hmm. We're still going through that conditioning phase where we need to get used to the stimuli, one being the running factor, mm -hmm. the other being in a social situation and having reduced amounts of alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, and then both, we see a, the correlating effect of as you run more, you get better at it and you condition to be better at running until mm -hmm. you're a fit runner. Likewise, you can condition to having less and less alcohol until you get to a point where you can be at a social situation mm -hmm. with no alcohol and not personally believe that you can't have fun. Yeah, it's, it's what we call, um, I guess when we look at it in that process, that instance, is, uh, I'm going to get it wrong here, but someone's going to shoot me, operant conditioning. Um, if you've ever heard of Papel's dog, um, where he uses the unconditioned stimuli and the unconditioned response to start to condition the dogs to salivate and crave food. So we've got this uh, conditioned behavior, which is your habit of like, you, know, you go out and sink, you know, even if, it, even if this, the point is, you know, just go out for a couple, but you know, you go out and you sink a piss and you sink it hard. You've got that conditioned response that every time you go out now, that cue is that every time you go out, you sink piss. And that sudden feeling of like, well, I have to do it because I felt good at the time. And that's how all my friends do it and that sort of thing. And that's where I guess the the assessment of your environmental behaviors comes into play with your habits and your and the the routines you set up, the habits you set up. Because if you're around less people making those choices, the likelihood of you being triggered for that behavior is a lot less. 
if you're engaging in environments or places or locations that don't provide or don't have that get shit face environment, chances are if you're getting written off on your own in a, like a, you know, a daytime bar, there's probably a lot less. Yeah. So you're interrupting and creating a, an intention to interrupt that feedback loop. The motivation then to execute it is kind of starting to trip because that feedback isn't connected. And so you're removing, not so much the cue, but you're, you're removing yourself from the cue and then that's disrupting that process. So I think that's a, yeah, that's a, a big one to look at is you're starting to uncondition yourself to the response you've had um, and you're trying to introduce a new condition response, which is then by the fact that, well, I want to do something else that makes me feel good, but I don't want to do it through alcohol. Okay, well, what if when I used to go do alcohol, I'm going to go to the gym? And then you see how you start to make that positive switch. Right, so every time that I know my friends message me, I'm going to say, I've got a family dinner or something like that. This is how I initially started backing off people expecting me to drink. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't in the sense that I think everyone's assholes. It's just that you also have to consider, and this is kind of going a bit left field, a bit wide, but people, people don't care for the rules you haven't told them. So if you haven't established the boundaries and the situations where you're clear on what the expectation is, they don't care. They just simply know you as the person you used to be and the person you were and the person you used to engage as and who you are now, whilst you think you're changing, while you think you're changing your life and doing things differently, those people aren't conditioned yet to you saying no to you not drinking. Yep. So you've got old friends who know that every Saturday you get shit faced with them and you're going to do a whole carton and probably a bag or something like that. They're messaging you Friday night. They're messaging you Saturday. So they, they, they haven't been conditioned to not expect that behavior. They're basing off on old habits and situations. I feel, feel personally attacked. <laughs> <laughs> That just cut off. Oh yeah, because we laughed really loud. Oh, to do that. Yeah. There you go. All right, listeners, tech. Um, yeah. So you you have to make it, uh, I guess, start to condition and backwardly work those old environments. If you want to still be still be around those people, work backwards from that and sort of make it known to them that you know the the alcohol behavior isn't what you want anymore, and those aren't the things you want to do anymore. So then that eliminates the environment and the verbal and the emotional stimuli that comes with those friends because usually you get the kickback, the drawbacks, the reactions, the responses, the stirs, the shit talk, everything yep. to make you be who you used to be because that's who they know, that's who they knew of you and you're no longer that person but they don't care. And it's not, it's not that they don't care but it's just their habits as well was, hey, Friday night, I message Josh, I'm going to go get lit. Yeah. So that's what they know. So making that clear then makes it easier for you and the way in which I did this to kind of like get back to that point was... Yeah, you might lie. Like I lied a little bit about to you know having certain uh, commitments or pre-scheduled situations to remove the consistent repetition of that behaviour. So where it might have been every Friday night, the next two set, next two Friday nights I've been busy. I've had something on. I haven't really. I've probably just stayed home, gone to the gym, ate my meals, gone to bed, or done some study. But that initial interaction then disrupts that whole process, and yeah. I'm less likely to give you that cue and then start the process all over again. And then you've got the cue process reward. Well, sorry, cue response reward. I'm not doing that. I'm disrupting that. It may mean that I lied a little bit at the start. Great. I then start to condition on, and I just phase in those words like, oh, I'm just not drinking this week. Or, I'm not drinking this month. Yep. And you associate that verb. And you start to condition them then to expect less drinking from you. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're not coming out with this anymore. But yeah, look, I'm just, I'm not feeling it at the moment. You know, I'm working on training. I'm working on this. And they'll probably start to see that that's happening with you. And they'll start to see that. And then the pushback, because the boundaries are becoming clear, the expectations are becoming clear, is becoming less and less common. And the pushback is less severe and intense. So you're creating boundaries and environments in which your new habits are free to be created and you're disrupting the old ones. Mm. So then you're going to associate that positive feeling now with, I still want to do something Friday night. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to go to a black class. I'm going to go Pilates, whatever it is you're going to do. Or I'm going to meal prep my meals for the next couple of days of the weekend so I don't slip up on the weekend. That positive feeling then is that you're feeling good from those health choices, those conscious choices. They're in line with the new values you live by, the person you are, and the person you're trying to be. So you're going to execute the cue, response, reward, but create it differently. So you're creating new situations, new habits, just through micro changes. I just I would call them micro changes. Lowest hanging fruit. It was the simplest thing that I can do, smallest possible situation, the smallest possible outcome that I can make to change my behavior and get the most amount of, I guess, the most value out of it. That's kind of like how I, whether or not, like, you know, it's not word for word how I go through with a client. I try and use yeah. a lot simpler language yeah. and a lot simpler conversation, but that's a very simple way of 
engaging and establishing boundaries, clear rules, uh, expectations, and starting to disrupt what may have been. Because some clients have had to actually get them to back off training. Because yeah, their, okay. their, their old habit was, all I know is every single day is training and every day is chance yep. to go. So their old habit was they felt good being in the gym, but every single day they're in the gym led to actual disrupting of recovery, long-term performance, long-term yeah. adherence, actual intensity in training. Chances are to me, if you can go seven days a week, you're not punching hard enough four to five. So in that instance, I've actually had to disrupt that routine or that habit. Oh, well, I know that I go to the gym every single day. You don't need to. So mm-hmm. you need to sort of cut that back. So whilst in their head that was a positive thing, he's actually disrupting what they were trying to achieve. Yeah. So yeah, even even in instances where it sounds like a good habit or it feels like a good habit, which is a health behavior, it's actually consequential and you need to stop it. So that same process is applied. Okay, what can we do in the meantime? What can we do to disrupt that repeated behavior and implement something new? And I think I've got him to do something where in the time where he normally would have trained pick a time to do something with his missus and walk the dog. Yeah, okay. So it's still something positive. He's still, still doing something social, still interacting somewhere in a health behavior. I just swapped it from training seven days a week to get some steps up. Yeah. So he still has a positive situation. Now he's cued when he feels like doing something healthy and knows he's got to do some exercise or doing like movement. It's not, oh, I've got to go to the gym soon when I feel good. He now knows that he can spend time with missus and walk the dog and get steps up. Yeah. I, I, th- I think that was uh, really good and super important letting people know those boundaries. It's like, as soon as I told people, like, oh, I'm doing 75 hard, they're like, what's that? And then I told them, like, oh, these are the non-negotiables. No drinking, got to train twice a day, got to drink four liters of water, got to read a book, um, like 10 pages every day. And as soon as you tell people that, like straight away, no, like, no one, and I'm like I told them I was serious, I didn't tell anyone, I think maybe until like a week or two weeks in. So I wasn't just saying like, oh, I'm going to do this. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, I am doing this. And this is what I've done so far. And people don't ask me to come out and drink. Mm-hmm. So I'm still getting invited to social situations, which is great, and mm-hmm. I'll still go. But they have no expectation of me drinking. They're mm-hmm. like, "Well, you, you know, no one's asking me to come out for a beer, unless there's just like certain people in like more extended friendship circles that don't quite know. That, yeah, that don't know. They're just or they, they don't. They're not quite sure what's really going on. Yeah. So in that yeah. case, it's like, like, because I, I had a pastor mate the other day. And he's like, oh, man, we're going to catch up for a beer. And I'm like, yeah, man, great to catch up. I'm like, let's catch up. I won't be having a beer, though. Yeah. Make those, like, and, and that's um, that's something that I've introduced to a few people as well, is where you make that that lowest hanging fruit or the smallest, I guess, if you're trying to move a mountain, you're going to start with the biggest boulder you can find. Mm. You start with the smallest possible boulder, the smallest possible rock, and you start shifting it. How many times can you repeat that? And suddenly what was small behaviors are resulting in large consequential responses that are conducive to you improving. So for me, it's, yeah. If you're if you're someone who likes to date, like you know, if you go on the dating scene, and, you know, it's one of the things that always gets me is a date is always followed by like, oh, let's go to a bar and have a drink, or let's mm-hmm. go do this and have food. Everything in Australia is very much orientated around social settings of food and alcohol. Yeah. So, okay, I don't do those things. Chances are that person probably isn't in love with me anyway. But let's say that's you know you're someone who's gone on a date. Rather than picking a location that's going to trigger alcohol consumption, it's going to trigger that environment where you get just absolutely written off you end up partying and just doing something you don't, you're going to regret or don't enjoy you wake up the next day feeling shitty just swap times again this is another situation where a cue can be found in time is you know at certain times of day you know you have certain behaviors you wake up in the morning you brush your teeth you do a shit you have a shower and get dressed and have your breakfast start your morning movements whatever it is you do um, those cues are ingrained in you based on time you know, at lunchtime, it's probably time to eat. You know, in the afternoon, it's probably time to unwind. You know, at nighttime, it's like, you know, nine o'clock, turn your phone off, something like that. You know, there's time-based cues. Why don't you switch up that interaction and say, hey, why don't instead of we get, like, instead of getting a beer or a wine or drinking, let's get a coffee and go for a walk. Mm. And it's still the exact same thing. It's still on a date. It's still two mutual people engaging in conversation in a relationship. There's still interaction over a beverage of sorts. You've just disrupted it from being alcohol to coffee and in the morning instead of being at night. Because at night, you know, I don't have anything else for the rest of the day, I can get written off and I'll just wake up hungover. In the morning, do I really want to waste my day being drunk at nine o'clock in the morning? Yeah. Probably not. I'd rather diarrhea yeah. instead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd rather have explosions from the coffee. <laughs> so in those instances, you've disrupted the cues and disrupted the processes of those old feedback loops and you're starting to create new ones, but you're still able to engage in those behaviors. So you don't have to isolate yourself and restrict yourself. So to me, that's when, you know, 90% of my clients aren't like bodybuilder obsessed. What I'm finding is more so they're, they're young guys that are, I'm going to say younger middle-aged guys that 
are looking to, with the intensity and motivation, they're looking to actually execute and make the change they're trying to change. So it's not like we need to make complete restrictions where, look, for the next 12 to 24 weeks, you know, there's no alcohol consumption, no drugs, no partying, in bed by 10, make sure you get eight hours of sleep, like all those key limitations that come with the bodybuilding prep. These guys are like, okay, a lot of your stuff is really just training intensity. You'd love to train hard and you want to train hard and you want to recomposition life, not just your body. Do we really need to eliminate everything in massive steps or can we take small bounds, small strides and create new systems along the way that are positively conducive to what you're trying to achieve so you can still live a life and you don't have to feel like you're restricted. Like one of the things that I have to get across to people is my lifestyle isn't for everyone. And so what I do, I am very introverted and I very like, <laughs> one of my mates birthdays is coming up and he wrote in his um, birthday bio for the, in the Facebook group was uh, for, for people who are preferred to smoke bomb and leave a situation, the event will be roughly closing down about 5, 5, 36 o'clock. Um, the night will be a lot less prepared after that and less structured and everyone's kind of free to go about their thing. Message me and said that was for you. <laughs> I was like, nice. <laughs> All right. I like it. So, you know, having those situations, like that's just me as a person. It's very easy for me to do that. I don't feel exhausted when I'm left at home, like I'm, what I do. Um, so those aren't hard habits for me to create. For other people that might be more in a relationship or more, I guess, socially exposed or experienced, maybe that's what they like. Making massive shifts like, well, I'm just not going to go out and see people. Like, fuck off, fat chance you're doing that. Yeah. Like, we're going to neck yourself in two weeks. Mm -hmm. like, look, at, look how hard most of Australia felt COVID, the lockdowns for two weeks. Like, what makes you think you can replicate that? Yeah, you're going to replicate that on purpose mm. for months at a time? Yeah. No, you're not. Chances yeah. are, yeah. You, and chances are, on top of that, you haven't even cleaned out your fridge or your pantry. So you've got all the food still <laughs> in there, you've got all the drinks in there. So you're really just going to shift from one location to the other. Well, you want me to throw out the 15 tubs of Nutella I just bought? <laughs> But no, I doubt myself. I'm not doing that. I bath in them. <laughs> it feels good. But yeah, so those are those are just like that's just a another positive way that you can create new positive habits, but still end up with the same outcome. And so that's I think an important thing for people to understand is that you know people think like when we talk about health, it's got this weird taboo like preconceived idea or conception that eating. You know, going into like a lifestyle change or a training change or starting a periodized program and stuff like that means you have to cut out everything. You have to remove all the things in your life you enjoyed because they're all bad and therefore you've got to stop all these habits. Then we end up with this terrible goal that's set, this terrible program execution, this terrible attitude about the program and you've got all these habits still in place from before you even started the program. Then you end up, I guess, for lack of a better word, failing. And then you punish yourself for it if you're like, crap, don't develop positive relationships and positive emotions to the situation so you aren't creating the consistency through routine and through habits that leads to long-term adherence and success. So all you're doing is just making yourself feel worse and then you spiral downwards instead of upwards. Fuck. Mm. Okay, good. What I want to talk about now is, um, I guess, from what I've heard, it's different, but I want your opinion and if the science is there or the latest studies are there, but... Um, how long does it take to form a habit? We, I, we, we always hear 30 days. Yeah, there's there's a variety of, of numbers on it, and I can't even give you the exact number. Like to say I've seen the exact study that's the most recently proved would be a lie. Um, but, you know, I've seen things as, as common as 21 days, um, repeating the same cue. Um, it really depends person to person, mm. as far as I'm aware, on how hard and positively they're reinforcing that process and reinforcing that habit without disruption. So it's it's more so about, you know, you can do 21 days, but if in that 21 days you've kind of half done it and you kind of, you know, one day fully done it, you're probably not going to get the same neurological connection, uh, cognitive connection as someone who's done it consistently with an absolute intensity to it, like there's an absolute purpose to doing the habit. So again, it's going to determine, I guess, be based on arbitrary situations, but I don't, want to, I don't want to lie and say I'm certain, but I've seen 21 days, I've seen 90 days, I've seen a whole list of numbers. Um, I think James Clear talks about in his book, uh, Atomic Habits. Um, it's been a little while since I've read it, so I can't pull the number off the top of my head. But the the key is rather than looking for the specific number of days, like how long do I have to do this, is look at why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. So it shouldn't be a number that you're trying to simply do it to until it becomes like a forced habit, because you can, just like getting rid of old habits, you can disrupt these ones. So it's not so much that you're looking to do it until it just becomes subconscious. It's more that you're looking to do it for a reason. And what is that reason behind doing it? Well, I'm trying to improve my health behaviors. I'm trying to improve my relationships. I'm trying to improve 
how long I live. Like I'm trying to improve my health, trying to cut back on shitty food intake, whatever it is. Look at why you're creating this habit. And it might be that you're, you know, the new habit is to make sure you have fresh food cooked every day and fresh meals that are prepared and they're made. So it means you get up like an hour earlier. It means you have to go to bed the night before earlier. It means you have to have your clothes prepared before you go to bed. So you wake up on time, prepared, not rushed or stressed. And you see how these systems start to create habit stacks. And that's what James Clear talks about. We call them habit stacks. Is that you're stacking one behavior with another that leads to a system, of cre creating a system that leads to an optimal outcome, which is developing new habits. And so, yeah, like I said, in that scenario, the morning after is determined by the night before. And so you have to create a positive night habit, which is your sleep environment and how you're prepared and how prepared you are for the next day. So that when you wake up, those positive situations can occur and then you can create a positive feeling to the next day, to that day, and you repeat that, then that becomes another, another habit. And that habit system is now stacked and you've got a process in which these systems you've created lead to long-term success and adherence and uh, I guess results to what you're trying to achieve. So if you were to see some influencer that's spruiking habits that are achieved next amount of days, really for the audience listening, you could more or less go at the end of the day, it's really up to you. Like how, how important is your goal? How important is this habit to form mm -hmm. and or break? Mm -hmm. um, would you say the breaking of a habit would be roughly in conjunction with the same time as forming a new one? Again, um, I don't think so. If you logically look at, let's say, uh, let's say you've got someone who's spent 20 years doing the same repeated behavior. That's a pretty ingrained process. And this could be anything, whether it's a trauma response, or it's emotion response, relationship response, food response, eating habits, lifestyle choices, time of day that you go home from work, all those things. If all of that is a stacked system that has been developed over 20, 25 years, 30 years, Simply saying that, you know, in 21 days, I can hear that too. Oh, hang on. Oh, that's my computer. You cut this bit out. Oh, that was the, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, is that my thing? That was the outro, but I don't know how that was playing through. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Wow. We anyway, were getting clapped off stage. <laughs> okay, see you later. And these guys are done. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so to, to, to go back to that point in terms of like the duration of a habit you're breaking, like it's going to be a lot harder to break a lifetime habit. And this is kind of where those, I guess, cultures talk about like eating disorders and like obesity is a cultural thing and phenomenon and all sort of stuff is that you're looking at a lifetime development of a exposure experience which then you have to consider all the systems and environments in which that habit exists now you're trying to disrupt that to build a new habit i'm gonna say it's gonna take a fair while again don't have the exact numbers and i haven't looked exactly on the time that it takes to set a break an old habit but you're trying to break down disrupt and kink the feedback loops that are resulting in the dopamine motivating you to execute these behaviors Think of each time that you're motivated to do something, how many choices there are where that's going to occur and how many like subconscious motivations and subconscious habits you have already from 20 years of life or 15 years of life or how you've managed to develop uh, dealing with relationship breakdowns or uh, rejection or abuse or whatever. All these behaviors have been subconsciously developed. It also takes not only that you're breaking them, you, have to, you also have to firstly recognize they're there which is a whole process in and of itself. That, that's a full self-audit that you're conducting to look back and go, well, I know when I wake up, I spend two hours on the toilet on my phone or I spend you know, two mm. hours when I could be. I tell, I tell people I have no time to create a new business or a new job, but I'm you know, playing Sony four hours a day, six days a week. I'm not reading any constructive. I'm not hanging around new people and exposing myself to new stimuli and, and like perceiving new information. So all of those individual behaviors and habits have to be disrupted. And they have to be sort of broken down and stopped by creating new ones. So that whole situation kind of is like a twofold, like, yes, you're trying to create new habits to disrupt the old ones, but you also have to recognize the environments in which those old ones exist. And are you doing things to control that as well? Are you doing things to stop that? Like, you know, you can say you want to create new health, health habits and health behaviors, but you're still going to the pub four days a week and you're still stopping off at Maccas and doing all these things. So, you know, it can be, it can be as simple as I do go to Maccas still, 
but I'm ordering a chicken wrap instead of a double quarter pounder and large meal a Sunday. Yeah. Like that small system kink, whilst it's not huge, you can then positively associate why you're doing it um, and start to slightly make those small changes, create new habits and, and build off those. Then again, you start to create the new stacks and you create the new systems. And so whilst it's not an exact number that I'm aware of on how long it takes to disrupt and break, you're looking at breaking neural circuitry and then creating new ones. So it's a process and it's a process that takes a lot of conscious awareness and I guess introspection and thoughtfulness, um, which I'm going to just say will take time. Like the thing I go through a lot of my clients is give yourself a break and understand like I'm not, I'm not about acceptance and accepting where you are and simply staying there. Like I literally have studied acceptance therapy. If you're going to practice the acceptance of who you are and things and where they are, that's great. We're also working forward. We're moving from that situation, excuse me, and progressing. So if you're going to accept who you are, that's fine. But understand giving yourself a break, I guess is the way you put it. You've got behaviors you've developed for over 20 years, 30 years, 15 years, whatever. They're ingrained in who you are. They literally are like the way you've coping strategies with traumas, emotional stresses, anything you've done in responses to certain things. It's built up over however long it's taken you. We're probably not going to do it overnight. It's going to be positive uh, affirmations, positive um, like creating that new link as it says that it's Q, Q uh, process reward. Sorry, Q response reward. So you're literally having to go and create new ones and keep repeating those over and over again as you also stop the old ones. So you're contending with old cues whilst then trying to create new cues. You're contending with like the old processes and the old responses and creating the new responses. So it's a, it's a, not a conflicting process, but it's hard. Yep. Okay. So perfect. Didn't answer my question. No, <laughs> um, no I, I think, I think that's awesome. Like I, it's, it's a lot to take in. And I, I, the reason I asked that question as well, just so everyone else at home knows is because you are going to see a special, and it's like we're starting to, to get past this now, but you see it through December, through January. It takes this many days to form a new habit. So mm-hmm. I guess really at the end of the day, what you need to do individually is take a good hard look at yourself, mm-hmm. identify what it could be mm-hmm. that is, well, what are the habits you want to change? Mm-hmm. What do you want to put in there? How are you going to go about that? And when you don't know how to do that, you go get your habit check habit check from yourself Mm -hmm. um and you make sure that you know what what's there needs to be there what isn't how to do that so it's not as easy as putting a day like i just do this and it will take x amount of days yeah no i think you'd be selling yourself short there and kind of setting yourself up for failure if you think setting an exact day that i do this for um is going to be correct I mean, I'm sure that like we have averages and we have numbers for a reason. I'm absolutely sure there probably is one. But again, we also have like average means that there's uh, outliers. Yeah. So uh, if you're under the bell curve, that's great. But it also means there's outliers. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's you know the first percentile, the 99th percentile. So just assuming that there's some exact number applies to you, probably not the exact way to go about it. Simply to look at why you're trying to make those changes, how consistent you can be with these, and, and the behavior you're trying to implement, and what the benefits of that will be how it's going to serve you and how it's going to improve your life as opposed to like, I just have to do this for 21 days and I'll get through it. Mm. It's not really how you're going to break it down and do things correctly. Just look at each day, putting one foot in front of the other, establishing one good behavior in front of the other and getting those those processes to take over whilst you're consciously, you're going to have to like, at first you're going to have to consciously fight against the old habits. You have to actually fight against the old triggers and the old cues. So that's going to be things like, um, environment audits, life audits, friend audits, like don't be scared to tell people to have off. Mm. I think that's a, like biggest one of the biggest problems I find is people are scared to establish these boundaries within themselves and their friends and become appeasing populations or people pleasers and they have to sort of be around these people no matter what, even if it puts their own life goals or ambitions on hold or uh, hinders them, they'll look at the fact that, oh, if I don't do this, oh, Greg's going to be pissed off at me for two weeks. I don't give a fuck. Like, Great. Was Greg providing me besides a place to go get pissed, which is actually not what I want to do anyway? Yeah. Is our relationship purely just based on the fact we get drunk together? If he doesn't want to do something else, why am I hanging around him? Oh, can we be friends and can we communicate and converse over a game of Sony or re- like watching a movie or doing something else first where we're just disrupting the fact it has to be alcohol? Okay, great. If not, I just don't hang around Greg. Like, it doesn't fade. It, it, it 
is going to come down to what you're trying to do and how important it is to you and how how much it means because that emotional buying and emotional connection is going to have a better return on you to disrupt those old habits and create the new ones. Yep. Yeah, love that. Um, I think it's super important um, and I guess where I've got to experience this as well is with the 75 hard. Um, like one of the things was drinking four liters of water a day. Mm-hmm. So just over a gallon um, because fucking Americans. But... Like I, I, I struggled there, and I knew for a fact there, there, there were days where I yep. easily drink over four liters. Like if I've, you know, done three sessions in a day, mm-hmm. um, like not all in the gym. Like if I, like I went to the gym, then I went for a run, and then I did something else, or I was coaching. You, you're easy going to down four liters, but then there's those other days where you're sitting behind the desk a little bit more, mm-hmm. doing work. It's hard to do that. So establishing that that pattern mm-hmm. probably took me about a week and a half, two weeks to make sure like I'm hitting. Like, okay, sweet. Like, I, I, my body knows it wants water. It's looking mm-hmm. for this. Then one of the other habits, which I would never do, would be reading a hard cover book, like mm-hmm. a hard copy. I always ingested uh, knowledge through audio. Yes. Yeah, so. Like, so audio books, I just, that's, but it, for me, it was always, because you could multitask. Like, you yeah. could just potter along and do something while digesting information, whether you get the full lot of it uh, out of that, as opposed to a book, each individual experience is their own but so having to read that book read those 10 pages at a minimum every night i would always you know leave reading them to the last minute yeah i'm um, like so right before bed whereas now it's like i'm enjoying it i'm enjoying like taking i'm a fucking real slow reader i'm a spastic so you know three or four hours to read the, 10 pages to 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 the dog yeah so like oh, i'm finding now so okay cool so in order to achieve this daily task I need mm-hmm. to set it earlier in the day make sure I get it done um, so I really like that and it's again like the that's probably now taking me well, I'm on day 25 or something I think so that's probably taking more around that 20 day mark mm-hmm. whereas the water was sooner and it's because th- there's different I guess like what you talk about the old behaviours like mm-hmm. yes I was always drinking water but now I'm just more consistent yeah, with more when I'm getting those yeah. leaders in and then with the reading I wasn't doing that so it's something I just wasn't doing hard yeah. cover reading and I mean like you know everyone reads throughout the day like you're reading emails you're doing this mm-hmm. you're doing that to dedicate the time yeah to, to stop and be present with just sitting and I think, I think a good thing about the 75 hard is it actually teaches people to be a lot more present in what they're doing mm. which I think is a problem for a lot of people like I know I suffer with because I just want to keep doing it I want to keep going yeah um, so actually stopping to I guess the thing too is you're you're able to stop and if you really want to get deep with it you're able to reflect on how your emotions respond when you are stopping. And so like, it forces you to sit down and you're going to notice like, I fidgeting, my agitated, what am I trying to do? Like, why am I trying to rush through 10 pages? What do I get out of that? What's this response? What's my emotions doing? Um, is my anxiety going up? Is my dopamine, uh, sorry, adrenaline going up? Are my feelings worked up just by stopping and trying to read this book? So then it, it allows you to sort of sit and be, I guess, more introspective on the situation. Whereas kind of if you're listening to audio books and that, I guess it's not happening. Um, and like you said, you're, you're able to recognize the fact that you were drinking across the day, but perhaps it wasn't as spread out, it wasn't as continual hydrating, it wasn't as consistent, something like that. So mm. all those little those little things that are required in a day are a good chance to just slow things down and make each day count as much as the next one. So that's a, a pretty good aspect of the 75 hard. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I would recommend a lot of people do it. It's tough, mm-hmm. so it's called 75 hard, but it's good. I've got some major benefits out of it so far body composition in the first couple of days i was like oh, <laughs> right eh? yeah shit so um, it comes with um cutting out the piss yeah that's probably one of the main things i honestly reckon it was just consistency and hydration yeah like seriously that's probably in the big train twice a day like you know and one session has to be outside so yeah i'm not gonna go like i literally don't have a balcony yeah at my place so i can't really do weights outside so yeah. i'll just weights run weights run so yeah but anyway, mate, that, that's perfect. Um, I guess in summary, if you're someone looking to, obviously they've now listened. If you haven't listened to the goals, guys, like we said, go back and listen to that. If you've got a overarching goal, mm-hmm. uh, and we were talking about this off mic as well before, um, about it's all well and good to have smart goals, but you need to have that, a big overarching mm-hmm. goal. So we've established the overarching goal. We've now worked out how to break it down and we've now got habits in there. I guess, is there anything else you're then looking for? Or like, 
it's now okay keeping accountable to everything we've said isn't it yeah so at this point so what we've, what we've done in the technical lingo i guess is broken down what's called the superordinate goal the intermediate goals and the uh, subordinate goals and so you've got a tiered structure to what you're trying to achieve and that might be uh, something as specific as um improving your health taking off 20 kilos of fat so you can improve longevity to health de decrease risk of heart attack something else like Something emotionally investing in that. It's pretty big. Let's just say you're an obese person. And now then you're able to break that down to your intermediate goal, which is the, the individual areas in life or the individual actions in which you have to do to make that superordinate goal take place or occur. And so, you know, for me, it's very easy to break down. It looks like, okay, I'm going to get pro. I want to get on the bodybuilding stage again. I want to get back up there. Each time I get back up there, I want to get better and better. The overall goals I want to win. Okay, so how do we do that? Well, we repeat competing, repeat competing in better and better condition, better and shape and size. Okay, so how do we do that? Well, in that intermediate phase, we're looking at um, making sure I'm executing training, sticking to my sticking to my standardization, periodization of my programming, sticking to my nutrition. So I'm I'm getting in my spaced out protein, um, adequate calories, going for calorie periodization where I'm not eating like a dickhead 24/7. I'm not eating 6,000 calories for 12 months straight. It's periodized to a point. Then we back off, recondition body fat. Okay, so how do I do that? Well, I'm also looking at my sleep behavior, make sure that I'm sleeping to maximize recovery. Okay, so what are the habits and systems that I then have to apply every single day to make those uh, situations occur that are then gonna lead me to the main superordinate goal training? So really what we've done across two podcasts is work out to what we call top-down processing, which is from the top, basically working from the top and literally working down to the smallest possible aspect of a micro process. And that is literally your working to a point where your daily task list comprises the things that get you closer and closer and closer to what you're trying to achieve. So it could be anything in business, it could be in your physique, it could be in fitness, it could be in health, it could be in fucking family, whatever it is you're trying to achieve. You're basically taking that superordinate goal to your intermediate stage and breaking the intermediate stages down to your subordinate goals. And that's going to get you moving closer and closer each day towards the overarching thing. Cool. Simple, and it if really you don't is. find that simple, it, yeah, just get in contact with you. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> you need to simplify it even more. Um, yeah, it is. It's it's something that, um, and this is what I want to take on the road. Uh, I've got a few schools and stuff, uh, a few clients that work at the school at their sporting program stuff. I wish we had this when I was growing up. Absolutely. That's why I think I find it so important, so so uh, exciting, is that there's a generation of kids who may benefit from this. And I guess that's my overarching goal. It sounds pretty big to a lot of people, but I want to be in front of a generation of kids and say, it is okay to have a large goal. This is what a superordinate goal looks like. You want to go play NRL professional. You want to go play the NFL. You want to go play AFL. You want to be in the Olympics. You're not stupid for saying that. Someone telling you you're dumb for saying that is kicking ass. Mm -hmm. Like imagine like to be stomped on for having a larger tier goal as a child to me is probably one of the most restricted abusive things you can do to a free-minded kid and I would do everything I can to make sure that doesn't happen so if I had someone lay this out for me when I was a kid I'd be a lot more proficient at telling like other people to f off and like stop worrying about girls and stop worrying about this stop worrying about arguments and petty shit like is this conducive to a life trying to achieve no then get off mm -hmm. stop worrying about it I teach that to a bunch of kids who then are going to learn habits systems discipline fortitude resilience mental toughness and they're going to look at the fact that they can go places and stop worrying about what they don't have and suddenly you've reshaped how the mind of a whole generation of kids works and what they think they can do and they are actually setting plans to go after it i would much rather have a generation of kids that failed for the right reasons because obviously everyone can't make the nrl the nfl the nba fucking any of those things not everyone can make it whatever the thing may be maybe be the chess champion maybe like you want to join the uh, orchestra the like new york symphony whatever you want to do like you want to be something like that whatever it is it's better to fail forward in an attempt of achieving something bigger than to set nothing and fall on your ass. Yeah. So that whole process to me makes sense because you're taking what seems to be like this massive, like ambitious undertaking. Like, there's no way this can happen. And then you're stepping it back into how we make it occur. That's really all it is. And the worst, the worst possible scenario for me, and this is like the benefit of goal setting, as like Peterson's talked about a hundred times, is it's not even the fact of achieving the goal that becomes so powerful and cool. It's the person you get to become, the skills you learn along the way, the life you develop, and the, I guess the systems you create, and the positive emotions that flow from that in attempts of pursuing a bigger goal, then 
if you just set a shitty nothing goal or you just something very personal and vain because it doesn't do anything for anyone and there's no real meaning behind it, that those two things are very, very different. Mm. So for me, that's the the key takeaway I always find with goal setting for people is not just looking at how do we get to that goal because that's more of an outcome-driven orientation, but we want to look at process orientation because that's the ones who stick. They're the ones who stay adherent. They're the ones who stay for the journey, for the ride, whether it's hard, whether it gets tough, whether it's fun, whether it's shit. The, the ones who focus on the processes get far better outcomes than the ones who just fixate on the outcome because the second they don't get the outcome, they chuck the shits, they feel emotional, they get depressed, sad, sour, develop a losing mentality, um, develop what's called uh, learned hopelessness, which is like an underlying learn to uh, depression, emotions, abilities, and stuff like that. So consistent losing and fixating on the losses and only having a fixed mindset tends to lead towards that. So having, having people recognize that that's possible and that we can do these things, to me, is fucking fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. All right, mate, again, uh, where can we find you? Uh, or where can the listeners find you? Um, I don't know where you live, so <laughs> I'll put the address in here at the end. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, personal Instagram is Ben underscore Medford Smith, underscore the end, I think. Um, and then you've got Matt underscore Athletica as well, where you can find our website, which is a free subscription service. So you can sign up to get notified when we release any blogs, when we release any sort of deals. Um, and then there's obviously the paid membership site for that as well, which has all our links to. Um, written, referenced, research articles, the membership group, the Facebook group. So all these cool little interactions you want to get amongst like-minded people, that's just www.matterathletica.com. Perfect. All right, guys, I'll put that all in the show notes as well so you can find it there. Um, mate, thanks so much for jumping on. I do, appreciate Always it. Always a great chat. Um, and I'm sure we'll catch up in another couple of months and it'll literally just be the next episode. What <laughs> <laughs> location do you want this time? Oh, let's just... Let's go to the pub. Let's go to the pub, yeah. Uh, All right, yeah. Thanks for listening, team. Thanks for coming on, mate. Um, And we'll catch you probably in another couple of months, listeners, because that's about how often this is coming out. (laughs) Consistency. Consistency. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Cheers, guys.